0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. So, this morning we... uh, Talked a great deal about critical thinking and uh, oppression and some of the other things that are all part of the same topic. Racism doesn't really exist. Is COVID really a threat? Are there solutions to COVID? There's several ways to treat COVID. COVID. I've, I've had it. Uh, a lot of other people have probably had it. Uh, uh, have I done the testing? No. That we've. We had over 150 tests here in uh, our county, but the doctors wouldn't use them, and they actually were sending them back after we obtained some of them for the county to use. There's a concerted effort by the uh, Oregon Health uh, Authority to actually prevent doctor offices from doing coronavirus tests. I mean, actual tests, not the PCR tests, but actual antibody tests. And even the antibody tests are not 100% accurate. There's a lot of things that uh, is just bizarre about this whole thing. I just listened to Will Witt interviewing a doctor in California saying that, you know, dispelling a lot of the myths about uh COVID-19 and... uh what, that we do have an immunity, most young people don't get it. Uh You have a greater chance of dying on the way to school from an automobile accident than you do from getting COVID-19. Even if you got it, most of the kids will get better real quickly. They'll be asymptomatic, they won't show any uh illness this is the natural way we talked a great deal about it. the natural way we've been obtaining immunity for thousands of years from a disease we have an extremely complex um, immune system layers and layers of immunity and the way you fight a virus is with your own viruses uh but we don't call them viruses we call them exosomes and all uh viruses is an exosome from another Entity, another creature that has, uh, triggered uh, some key locks into your cell so that your cell begins to replicate it. Eventually your cells figure out it shouldn't be doing that, try to stop it, they turn off cells, that damages cells, you, then your body can have an overreaction and that's where you start getting symptoms. Most people Uh, that are asymptomatic, you can't hardly catch the disease from them because they're not replicating it. They've recognized that it's a foreign exosome that shouldn't be in your body and that shouldn't be replicated and it's not doing it. And it sends out exosomes that will actually disintegrate and consume it and it does the same things with toxins that get into your body. All this, your body is way smarter than you. Figures all this stuff out and does it. Now, if you're real old and you're degenerative diseases and you have a compromised immune system, yeah, you you might want to avoid contact with other sick people because you may die a few months early uh, or earlier than you would normally. So, what can you do? Well, you can do a lot of things that the media was poo-pooing. Actually a doctor, that doctor that was interviewed by Will Witt at Prager U, you can go to Prager U, and, uh, within, uh, the day before this meeting, I guess the, the video was released, and he talks about the fact that he, uh, diagnosed somebody with, uh, corona, and suggested that they, I gave him a prescription, which is a non-controlled substance, a prescription for hydrochloroquine and zinc, Uh, which is the person has mild case, the early stages, it's a very good prescription. You could take it yourself. Like I say, it's not a controlled substance. Used for all kinds of things, usually to do with the immune system because it will tone down the immune response because that's what you die from is overreactive immune response. And sometimes you, the overactive immune response is because your body failed to identify the foreign exosome and reproduce way, way too many of them in your own body. So yeah, you know, I mean, there are people out there saying that viruses don't exist. you can't catch a virus. Well, you can, and they do exist. Are they exactly like everybody says? No, they're not. They're not like a bacterial infection. It's it's not alive. It's just a misfiring sack of RNA that should not be reproduced in your body, but sometimes is. And it can cause damage as your body shuts down those cells that are replicating the virus. Then that shell, cell is dead, a new one has to take its place. If a lot of cells die, uh, then you could get a secondary infection, which is that cytokine re- response, and then that will give you symptoms that you see. Most of the symptoms you won't see. So it can damage lung tissues, other viruses, damage other things. This happens to be a respiratory, uh, virus. So, But the key thing is, get sick, get well, produce the antibodies, and now you become part of the defense for the whole of society, the elderly of the society, the weak and the sick of society. You will actually protect them from this virus and from the ill effects of this virus. Again, the virus is just an exosome. It can cause ill effects in some people, but with other people, it doesn't. And I love the story where nurse was working down in uh Florida and never lost a patient. And uh eventually, they didn't hardly have cases, and there wasn't hardly anything going on in the hospital. So she volunteered to work up north. So she goes up to, I think it was New York. She's working there, and patients are dying. And she, it's the patients they put on the respirators. And she says, I don't think they need the respirators. And uh, But they she's not the doctor. So the doctor puts them on the respirators. Only one person put on the respirators survived. Because when you go on the respirator, they also put you on drugs to drug you down so that you don't fight the respirator because this is shoved down your throat. And is breathing for you. And that's where the damage can occur is that breathing for you. One guy, he wasn't drugged out enough with the drugs they gave him because he's a druggie. And he pulled the respirator out himself without a doctor. He just literally pulled it out and he survived. The respirators were killing people. That's a fact. You can take that to the bank. The respirators that everybody thought we needed, that the president was told that we, they needed, and they didn't need. It wasn't. It. Taiwan. 23 million people live in Taiwan. You can't hardly social space there, so close together in Taiwan. How many deaths? Corona must have just wiped out those people, right? Uh, the hygiene and that, I mean the people are clean generally speaking, but there's a lot of poor people in Taiwan. Uh, you, I had a friend who was put in jail in Taiwan once and he said, uh, before he went to jail, he woke up in the hospital because uh, you, you think that he's a terrible guy. It's actually kind of a funny story. He was a rodeo wrangler. And the rodeo went to Taiwan like a circus come to town. And so advertising that, he would walk down the street. He's like 6'6". Six, six, and he would put his hands out, arms way out, in his cowboy boots and his necker trip and, and all this uh, cowboy hat And all the people gathered around and he put his arms out straight and everybody is below his arms because they're all short, Chinese people, compared to him. And he was just advertising by going in this kind of like parade, talking about the rodeo and stuff. Well, he made a mistake. He took it when his hands were outstretched like that, there were these policemen. And they, of course, they wear army uniforms and everything, so they had army helmets. And he tapped one of them on the head. Just tapped him, you know, a couple times with his hand. And uh he said, that was a mistake. <laughs> Evidently, you don't touch the cops in Taiwan. He said, they were all on me like <laughs> bees on honey. He said, uh he. next thing you know, he woke up in the hospital. I mean, they knocked him out cold. And he, when he said he was in the hospital, they didn't take him to the best one. He said, uh, you didn't want to touch anything in that hospital. There was stuff on the walls that were unidentifiable. <laughs> but anyway, that's his story. He could tell it better than me. But, uh, the point is, is that, uh, that there must have been thousands of deaths, right? 23 million people. That's about a third of, uh, well, that's even less than a tenth of, uh, of, uh, the population of America, but they're really tight in there. You know, they had seven deaths. Seven deaths from Corona. How in the world? Well, they kept it out of their convalescent homes. They didn't expose grandma to it like they did in New York and Pennsylvania and Michigan and all the states that had the tremendously high death rates because they ordered sick people to go into the convalescent homes. Ordered the convalescent homes to take infected uh, patients from the hospital into the, the old folks home. That, my friends, was a crime. That is criminal negligence. That is worse than the cop who supposedly killed Floyd, George Floyd. Cause they intentionally sent sick people into the most vulnerable population. We knew they were the most vulnerable from the beginning. It was a crazy idea they didn't think And because they didn't think, thousands of people died. Are they going to be prosecuted? No, because it doesn't fit the narrative of the media. Are you doing stupid things too, like wearing a mask? Doctor gave an example where people exercise, they they tested their blood oxygen. You know, we had those little tests when we take care of elderly people. We put this on their finger and it gives you their oxygen levels. They tested the oxygen levels. They put them on a treadmill and they tested the oxygen levels after walking on the treadmill. Then they put them in, one in a surgical mask, one in a cloth mask, and they had them walk on the treadmill, tested their oxygen again. Their oxygen levels dropped from 90 some to down as low as 70 some. That's not good. And that's a few minutes on the treadmill. There are people running down the street Doing their calisthenics and exercise wearing a mask. Stop it. That's bad for you. I know people who wore masks all the time working. It's not good for you. It can cause all kinds of problems. But anyway, people do it anyhow. So, what other things are going on that is crazy and stupid? What are... We doing that is absolutely insane. Well, one thing, we're practicing Christianity because we think that we're Christians and we're actually doing the opposite of Christ, which is no surprise because Christ said we were going to do that. He said many would you know, claim to be coming in my name, but uh, they would actually do the opposite of what I tell them. And I would say, get you from me, I know you not. So there's a lot of fake Christians out there. They don't know they're fake Christians. They actually think they're Christians. They think they're doing great things. But they're not real Christians because they're in order to be a Christian you have to follow Christ. And because they're not doing what Christ said they are not capable of consistent critical thinking. They also are not hearing from the Holy Spirit as much as they could be hearing and they would know that there is no real danger from COVID. There is some precautions that some people need to take But there is no real danger to society. There is danger to society and it's going on behind the scenes and you don't even see it. And the greatest danger that has been going on for almost a century now is that you've been taking a bite out of one another. That's right. You have become cannibals. You have become accustomed to living at the expense of others and uh, have developed a habit of obtaining your livelihood at the expense of others and you need to stop that you need to repent and turn around and go the other way so what do I mean by that well we talked about some of this this morning this idea of the bondage of Egypt and I added a great deal more to our page on the bondage of Egypt and what's going on with the bondage of Egypt and I also talked about culture and how we change the culture because we change some of the things that we do. And it changes our culture. The blacks, 20 years after slavery was over, involuntary servitude was now illegal because of the 13th amendment. It, uh, we had all these black people, that were going out, they were becoming senators and congressmen and doctors and lawyers and, and college professors. And they were also bricklayers and uh, doing all kinds of other skills. Because many blacks learned skills. They weren't all working on plantations. A great deal of the White House was built by blacks who were slaves to an employer who employed those blacks. And most people don't know that a lot of blacks as slaves were paid. They were given money. Not, I'm not, not as much. They worked for less. And that's one of the competitions is that blacks who were working for another black or a white man or a free man who owned them, because there were a lot of blacks who owned them, I, one of the things I was just reading the other day, is that in the Trail of Tears when the Indians had the went on this Trail of Tears? One of the things that made that difficult for people is that they took their slaves with them. That's right, they had slaves. Indians had, some tribes had thousands and thousands of slaves amongst them, and so uh, other tribes didn't do that. Some tribes did, and slavery was not unusual. It was actually very common, but it made it very difficult for some people to compete against somebody who could hire four or five slaves. Now, to tell you the truth, sometimes one guy would buy a slave, and that would be his assistant, and that slave would also learn the trade that he was in. They would even sometimes learn to read because they were a slave to somebody who wanted to work at projects. He couldn't hire a regular man, but he was able to afford buying the slave. They ate together. Uh, they slept in the same places. They, uh, of course, one guy's the boss and one guy is, can take all the profits. But they often shared the profits. There were many, many cases where the black man who was the slave appreciated the master because he was so well treated and helped. And when when they finally came to freeing him, he was okay with that too. There were there were many people who had uh, slaves who simply stayed on as employees and uh, worked for the same people. But what I was really going for is the fact that 20 years after slavery had supposedly ended, the black family was extremely strong, and that's how come they were able to do many of the things that they were able to do and accomplish many of the things they were able to accomplish. Somebody changed something that caused the breakdown of the family. I did a show on Australia showing how welfare was taken care of almost exclusively by churches and philanthropic organizations. And then the government said, we will help you. And then by the 1960s, they said, okay, now we are going to tell you who you can help, when you can help, how much you can help. We're going to control the situation And they were in place to do that because the people who were the church operating welfare systems said, yeah, we want to help from the government. They're offering us this free help. They should have simply read the Bible where it says that you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors say they want to help. But exercised authority one over the other. They're not going to give you any money except the money they took away from somebody else by force. Every truly Christian church should have argued against that. And many did. But not enough. People saw that free money and they ate the cheese. That is what is destroying America. Because that led to more and more people dependent upon public education... Public education became an avenue for groups like the Carnegie Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Guggenheim Foundation, and many of these other charitable institutions to alter the way in which your children would perceive history by changing the textbooks in your public school. By centralizing the control of your public schools, they were able to change the way you think and your children think and that was not to include critical thinking. So anyway, so culture was changed by these policy changes in government and the influence of government grew because of the fact that people were dependent upon government rather than community. Community is not government. Community will help one another out through faith, hope, and charity, through volunteerism. But the government helps out through force. And until John the Baptist, most of the governments were trying to establish a utopia on earth by force. Now John the Baptist said, no, do it with free will offerings. If you have extra, share what you have you do the same in meats, whatever. That was the message of the gospel. Christ said to live by charity, by faith, by hope. Everybody else was saying, no, let's live, live by faith. Uh, and depend for our livelihood on force. We're gonna institute force and even violence in order to establish this. This is, this is where we went wrong. If you don't know where you made the wrong turn, how can you get back to where you were supposed to be? Well that's, that's the problem. The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence. The people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute, institute the rule of violence. A system of violence, an authority of force. That's what he's saying. And now, uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate. They themselves degenerate into perfect savages and find once more a, a master and a monarch. That was Polybius 150 years before Christ or 2,200-300 uh, 2, 200, 200, 200, years ago. He said this. It's written down in history books. But you don't study history because you depended upon public schools. I remember somebody saying you would find several books common in every farmhouse because they used those books to learn to read. So what are they doing? What kind of books did they have in there? Well, Plato's Republic. Not that Plato had a republic. But that's why they call it Plato's Republic, because it's not a real republic. A real republic wasn't like what Plato was doing. A real, uh, like the life of Lysurgia, the, the their idea, gold in the hands of the people is the enemy of the state. Therefore, the people would only have a, a money that's only worth the exchange amongst them and was useless outside of the community. That way you can control what goes in and out of the community and bind the community together. That's what they were doing with the golden calf. They took their gold and put it into the golden calf. Now they had no gold. If they if they left the community, they left without their gold. Well that gold was what they used to introduce themselves into another community. They would buy equipment by livestock wherever they were at, you know, maybe an ox to pull their plow, build a house. That allowed them freedom. So Sparta took all that away from the people. They didn't want them to have gold and silver. They used lead money. That was the walled-in camp of the golden calf. The golden calf was meant to bind the people together by means other than righteousness, and love for one another. That was the institution of the golden calf. So the golden calf was not idol, but not because it was a statue, but because it was an institution. It was a banking institution. It was the reserve fund. It bound the people together. You couldn't just flee in the face of the enemy or you left your gold behind. So it was creating, instituting loyalty by circumstance, not by choice. And that degenerates the society of Christ, the community of Christ. Because he wants you bound together with love. And those bands of love now don't always come easy, but they are hard to break. So somebody who's staying together because of the money can be bribed. <laughs> you can buy their loyalty with the money. So anyway, as you see, we're giving you a quite a different picture than most people understand. Like the imperial cult of Rome looks more like what we're doing today than then uh, we're certainly not doing what Christians did. We're certainly not doing uh as Christ commanded. And so why are we surprised that things are not quite working out like we had hoped or like we had thought? So anyway, I talked about critical thinking. Christ came to teach you how to critically think, <laughs> how to look at yourself and see your failings, your faults and your frailties. And alter them by altering your lifestyle, by being born again, by thinking differently, acting differently, working together and interacting differently. Like I said this morning, critical thinking is self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, self-corrective thinking. Well, in order to do that, we need to become aware and awake enough so that we can see ourselves as we really are. And it also requires objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. This is why he says seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means his justification, his judgment, what he judges to be right. And he judges it not to be right to covet your neighbor's goods to many who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. So anyway, I said all the critical thinking must be devoid of all prejudice, both positive and negative prejudices. Prejudice from the Latin, prejudicium, Pray meaning in advance and judicum it means judgment or jurisdiction. So, pray in advance. That's what he said. In advance, judgment. Prejudice is judging before it's time. And, of course, that's what everybody did with the cop and George Floyd. They judged him based on a clipped video because they didn't show you all the video. They judged him based on that limited view. You never got to see the body cams or anything, and you'd already made up your mind. You didn't look at a autopsy report. You didn't know what the real cause of death was. So, you've also jumped to the conclusion that you're a Christian even though that your practices are covetous practices, you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor and you're perfectly content with having somebody who exercises a force forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Free education, free health care, free uh, police protection, all this stuff. This degenerates your society the same as the welfare of the great society and uh, the... the uh, War on Poverty degenerated the black community because they focused, you know, Cloward and Piven. We have articles up at preparingyou.com. You look up Cloward and Piven and we'll show you what their strategy was. Why they targeted the black communities to get the black vote. Well, they also want white votes. So they did target the poor and the white communities to get the white vote. And what they really want to do is not to help you, but to have the power to control you. So, anyone who is capable of critical thinking would naturally cultivate the habit of curiosity about all things. They would, by their nature, be desiring to reserve judgment until all the facts, all the possible facts, were present and known and confirmed. Rushing to judgment of what is good or evil would seldom lead to right reason. And right reason is defined in as divine will. Now, I put all this together in articles, and if you look at the article at Preparing You on Critical Thinking... When you get to that point where they talk about right reason, you'll see that that you can light that up by running the mouse over it, and then you can go read those articles on what reason is and what 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 am I talking about? Again, culture. When we were looking at the definition of culture, there there was a simple definition, and then there was a more complex definition. Of culture refers to the cumulative deposit of knowledge. Well, they're keeping knowledge from you because they're not teaching you history. And, of course, that makes you more vulnerable, easier to manipulate. So, a cumulative deposit of knowledge, usually into the old people and then passed down to generation to generation. Experience. Well, you it's good to learn from experience, but it's better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than making all those mistakes yourself. So, this cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, religion is how you take care of the needy of society, notions of time, Roles, spatial relationship. Concepts of the universe and the material objects and possessions acquired by a group of people in the course of a generation or from generations to generations. So, Culture is this characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people defined by everything from language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, arts, and the policies of government. These are all going to define your culture. Now, you want the culture of Christ. The culture of Christ was to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. This will alter you. And you probably need altering, but Jesus you know, John uh, Peter said, the covetous practices they would make merchandise of you. And of course we talked about that. Involuntary servitude is against the law, but voluntary servitude is still there, and you can volunteer, and you do that when you take out a loan. When you take out a loan, you you've got voluntary system. And you are dependent upon that voluntary system for your welfare. If you're dependent upon a system of force, then force is what you get. If you judge it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, then it's okay if your neighbor forces you and you cannot cry oppression. And that of course is what a lot of people do is they cry oppression. I'm being oppressed. And so, I started putting together on that, and hopefully I'll get through that, but I've, I've been really busy lately, and uh um uh, been trying to accomplish a lot of things, and not everybody is cooperating. <laughs> uh, somebody gave me 30 minutes notice that I was going to have to deal with uh, them, and got here, then... So that threw my schedule off, and then I didn't bring the sheep off the desert at the same time. and So I was out there another day, and then a sheep stuck his head through the fence, and I'm running around chasing that at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then I have a show back here at 8, and uh, we just walk the sheep back uh, across the desert back to here because we're going to shear tomorrow. That's the only body who gets sheared is the actual sheep because we don't shear the flock. Otherwise, we only in, only if you're covered with wool on a hot day would we shear you. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to get these things written so that you can follow it. And I put this page together on oppression, and uh, we never quite finished the critical thinking. Like I said, there are characteristics in critical thinking without those. You cannot critically think. That it, it's like you're taking out parts. We had a guy out of here who used to work on cars and everything and when he was all done working on it, there were all these leftover parts in this bucket. <laughs> Bolts and what have you and we thought like, what's that? Well that's, I didn't put that, you don't need any of that stuff. So he's, I thought like he's not making, he's doing this really cheap but he's making a fortune on selling all the parts he doesn't put back. <laughs> But anyway, he, he ended up not being a mechanic when he grew up. But uh, without these parts, these elements, or these characteristics in your culture and in your community, you and your community will not be capable of critical thinking. So you have to have compassion. I need to go through and start showing you all the quotes in the Bible that tells you all this too. You have to have you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, or else you cannot critically think. You will not be able to critically think. You need awareness. Awareness of what? Well, you need an awakening, and they talk about that in the Bible. Where you are now in control of your emotions, rather your emotions in control of you. You need good judgment. Well, in order to have good judgment, you have to delay judgment until you have all the facts in. These people who rush to judgment about a particular situation, they're not Christians because that's not good judgment. You have to be totally honest. That means you have to be totally willing to see the truth about yourself as well as others. You will not see the truth about others unless you see yourself. I mean, Senator Palpatine, and Palpatine. <laughs> he was so caught up in the battle of hate between Darth Vader and his son that he didn't see what was actually going on in the rebellion and they were able to blow up the Death Star because he was distracted by his hate. So, I mean, that's the story, right? But I'm telling you these... these some of the things that make those stories good is the implementation of these principles in the story and because you identify you notice the principles and you say well that's that's important that's significant that's a great story so anyway you have to have that good judgment so you you can't have bias you can't have prejudice you can't have favoritism And you can't rush to that judgment. And so that's part of the same thing of being totally honest about yourself. In order to do that, you have to have humility. What did Christ say about humility? There's a live link there to a whole article on humility. Willingness. You put your hand to the plow, you keep it on the plow. You do not turn back. You're not tossed to and fro. So, that willingness and humility to see the truth about yourself is absolutely essential. Now you also, they say you need creativity. You need to be able to not be stuck in a rut. You need to be able to think beyond what you've been taught is the reality. You need to be able to see those alternatives in reality, the alternatives in interpretation and translations. Because of the critical thinker is slow to judgment, which is the first part, Patient, because he is compassionate, willing to honestly look at things from a point of view they, they also would be made more flexible by looking at these other alternatives. You know, like a, there's an old timer out here who used to say, as a rule, we would do this, and then you would suggest, why don't we do this, and he, he is, uh, often surprised and was willing to try it the other way i i remember a story of old timers when all the houses out here originally were built board and bat that was the style that when people came out here and we had the big pine trees so they had these big you know 12 inch 14 inch boards and they would that's they would build it board and bat and the way you do that is you make a box which is your floor, and then you pound the boards in with nails into that floor and uh you know, into the side joists. And they go all the way around. You do the same thing with the upper plate and then you cover the cracks in between with bats. And that's the way they built it, bat and board. Some had board and bat and board or board and board and bat. You know, they had two layers of boards and then bats on the outside. And that's how they kept the house warm and cool and of course there were all kinds of leaks. But that's the, that's the way that they built. And somebody came to town, it was a sawmill in town, and the sawmill was cutting up two by fours and two by sixes and he was saying we're gonna build this with two by fours. And, uh, he's, Laying the wall on the floor and nailing the wall together and they're thinking, what are you doing? Cause somebody else had tried to build a 2x4 wall and they held the 2x4 up and toenailed it in. Now this guy was building it on the ground and then he got a bunch of guys together and they lifted it up in place. They had never thought about that. They, they, they could not see a, a simpler way because they were stuck. Humility, lack of humility is one of the things that causes that. Slow to judgment is very important. If you're quick to judgment, you will decide this is the way to do it and you won't you won't shift from that. You won't be creative. And I can give you hundreds of examples where people do this all the time and it's lacking one of those characteristics of critical thinking. Which is actually a part of the next one, which is to be analytical. Analytical is you take, look at all the facts. You make judgment about individual facts until you have this other alternate viewpoint that allows you to be creative. But you can't be creative without being analytical. Looking at where people are being uh, deceived, or confused, or led astray. So, the next one we, we finally got to this morning and mentioned is communicate. And again, like if you go to Hebrew letters, there's a page called Hebrew at preparing you, and it will show you all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and meanings of those letters. And one thing that shows up is this power to communicate. That's part of the very essence of man, is to communicate. Now, the reason why you're communicating may vary from time to time, but the reality is that that idea of communication is very divine. So critical thinkers communicate in a coarse manner, attentive listeners to the thoughts and expressions of others to understand their reasoning on this, you know, the, the whole situation, whatever it is. So you have this analytical communicating so that you will brainstorm with others. And these are also part, but the, the next thing is forgiveness. Without a willingness to be honest about our own failings, we cannot judge others rightly. And that is ultimately the goal. It's not only to judge ourselves, but to judge others rightly. In order to do that, you have to get all the facts in, you have to be patient, communicate, and have a, you know, without humility and patience, we will not be objective. Uh, and we will not objectively be able to analyze the facts to judge rightly. So, that is key, and that's why Christ kept mentioning it. Humility is key. Patience is key. This is all virtues. Uh, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Even he has made himself your enemy has to be loved as well. And so this is, this is all part of the social virtues. Social virtues A vice is simply the absence of the virtue. Social virtue is the virtue that we need to improve society. So this brings us down to Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God, which was another way governing yourself through charity rather than through force. Faith. Rather than allegiance. Love rather than fear. Critical thinking does not only require a clear mind. But a pure heart. Contempt and anger. Critical thinking does not only require a clear mind. But a pure heart. Contempt, anger and hate. Come with that covetous practice. And it creates one of those endless cycles. Where you... You have this contempt and anger and hate, and it produces a covetous practice, but the covetous practice requires that you have more contempt, anger, and hate. This covetous practices of society, which is what socialism is, is detrimental to society. And that is what brings about the self-destruction it also impairs your ability to to resonate, to have uh, where you actually develop a cognitive dissonance, disconnect, because it it you can't hook up the way you should hook up in a society. You cannot create those bonds of society that allows you to talk about these things with whom and wherever you are at. Learning to live by love and patience and pure religion through a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity instead of fealty force and fear, it is what repentance and seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness is all about. The way of Christ is often in conflict with the ways of the world of Rome, of the imperial cult of Rome, which is how they took care of the welfare. Again, their temples, which we have articles on temples show you what they did. One of them was the mant. Another one was the laboratorium where it kept records, kept birth certificates, so we can know who should inherit what and all these kinds of things. But we straight away from that, we have this imagined view of society and how society works. And it's it's not incompatible with the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, anyway, we're going to need to go to a break for a minute. We'll be right back to keys of the kingdom after this brief break. Okay, so welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I gave me a little break to go check out some other things that I'm trying to do while we're doing the radio station, <laughs> radio show. But the uh, this whole idea of critical thinking is absolutely essential for your survival. This is the ultimate survival tool, this critical thinking, where you can look at the situation, size it up, With rational, reasonable, you look out in the streets and you see people smashing cars and burning down their own community and that light and tipping over statues as if they're actually accomplishing something. And they all cheer each other on like some sort of virtue signaling. They're better off playing video games. It'd be way less destructive to the rest of society. But it is what it is. So, if we are to become critical thinkers ourselves, we will have to think differently. That is the definition of the word repentance. Repent means think differently. Because right now, there is not much critical thinking going on in the world. And we need to think differently. Only love for your fellow man through a willingness to forgive, to seek, to seek the righteousness of God, and a daily administration of righteousness, only those willing to do that will be able to also critically think. And they have to take care of one another through a daily ministration of charity rather than force. In the practice of pure religion rather than the fake religion that people are, are participating in now. Now when I say fake religion, I'm not talking about when you go to church. Your religion is this, is the socialism of the state. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. So, that's what we're supposed to be seeking. So, what does that look like and what doesn't it look like? Well, then I wrote this article on oppression. Oppression is defined as prolonged, cruel, unjust treatment or control. Unjust treatment or control. Not, you know, uncomfortable, but unjust treatment. If you judge it's okay to take away from your neighbor by force through government, then it's okay for them to take away from you. And it's not unjust when they charge you income tax and higher and higher rates. It's not unjust. It is just. As you judge, so shall you be judged. The Bible uses the word oppress hundreds of times. But it's not always translated from the same word. It's translated from other words. There's a long list of Hebrew words, uh, including latchet, yana, tsarar, uh, ash, ashok, uh, nagas, uh, areas, uh, uh and, uh, shad, and more. And these all have different meanings. Slightly different in some cases. Drastically different in others. And then you look at what words they all translate in. when I go over a few of them on the page. And we need to understand how those uh, different words relate to the ideas that we attach to words like oppressed. Because they're not always translated oppressed. So like the word "latchet" in the it has this sense of affliction you know oppression and affliction while yana can mean oppress is also translated proud and can well it can actually bind you and we we it's used it, yeah, well, we can go over all the different places it's used but it has to do with binding it also can be pushing you out or binding you in. And, of course, that's what was going on in the Walden camp uh, in Leviticus with uh, the golden calf. Is that the walls, uh, like Ewell Brenner uh, says to, to Eli Wallach, uh, the walls are not made to keep you out. They're made to keep you in. And that's, that's pretty much the way society works today is that they are binding your thinking, binding your, your actually, your debt. Where you are now become nothing more than merchandise. And that's what it says. Peter says it. Through covetous practices they would make you merchandise. And this is the process of how this comes about. There's other words like nagus, which can mean oppressor or taskmaster or somebody who extracts like a tax collector because that's, you know, that's people don't realize the bondage of Egypt was 20% of your labor belonged to the Pharaoh. Well, how did you get that? Well, one of the ways they did it was that if you owed the tax for 20% of the month or the year, you went to work, you know, for a whole month you worked for the Pharaoh on, you know, building pyramids or whatever, you know, aqueducts or whatever his different, uh, uh, schemes are. You had to work for him and then because of that he had this rotating work cycle where he could get you to come and work on his projects. Now that's not unique or, uh, if you remember when we were talking about what the militia did, most of the militia was not shooting guns. Most of the militia, militia was chopping and sledgehammers and wagons, and because the militia built the roads, the, because roads were essential, the militia not only built roads, but they built schools, and it was all voluntary labor. That's that's what was going on: is that you were volunteering. To help out your community for the peril, you don't get to volunteer. you're forced. and now today that's what's going on in America, but they don't make you go work it. They just take a portion of your labor away from you in the form of taxes, and you're you're actually working on their projects. but it's more goes more in depth than that, but we don't have time to do that. So we'll just have to leave it as it is. And until next time on Keys to the Kingdom. Until then, jo- join us in preparing you to think about coming to the Burning Bush Festivals. And peace down your house and God bless.
0: You have been listening to... Dot his holy church dot net